All right, we're going to uh, going to be talking about something today that um, has to do with the future of our churches and and the growth of our churches. Um, and I want you to know, I'm not going to share anything with you that is uh, earth shattering, because a lot of what we need to do is very basic. But we do need to focus on it. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. We do need to identify what uh, the Lord wants us to do, and we need to be intentional about it. Part of the problem that we have is that we have not been intentional about what, uh, what the Lord wants us to do. And what I'm sharing with you is part of a training... Uh, is part of elders training, but I, I made it part of a leadership training series that I was doing. This is class number five in that leadership series, but um, the first two were elders training, basic elder training. The second two were basic deacon and deaconess training. And, and I did this on purpose because I wanted some people who didn't want either of those to also get part of this today, and some of you are doing exactly that, which Great, I'm glad I did it that way so that everybody feels like it's part of it. Because the, the, the truth is we all need to be intentional in our churches. Now, how many of you sit on your church board, your churches, okay? Um, and uh, all right, how many of you are leaders even if you aren't on the church board, okay? Uh, if you raise your hand on the church board, you're already there, and so that added everybody else. So. Good, so you're all part of that, and you're just the exact people that I want to be speaking to uh, today. Now, I know that at Michigan Camp Meeting, we have spies from other conferences who come in once in a while. I'm kidding about that. And we're glad to have people from other conferences. How many of you from Michigan churches here today? All right, no spies among us today. Okay, all right. Uh, I am teasing for the recording, uh, you know, and need to make sure they understand that and, and get that point. So I hope that you will take what I'm going to share with you today back to your local church and that you'll uh, help your church think intentionally about the fact the church needs to grow. That's the reason that Jesus made us a church. We have no excuse for existence except as we are sharing the gospel message with our communities. If we're not doing that, we, we're nothing else but a local club. I mean, that's all we are. Just a group of people getting together and having fellowship together, and that's what happens at the local bar, and that's what happens at other clubs like the uh, American Legion Club and, and other places like that. They're all doing the same basic thing, just getting together and providing an opportunity for people to, to interact with each other. And if that's all we're doing, we're not fulfilling the Gospel Commission. So our reason for being and existing is that our churches might grow. So when I'm talking about growing, I'm talking about the church becoming a part of the community and reaching out into the community and sharing the three angels' messages, the gospel message, the eternal, everlasting gospel, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, and all the other parts of that that are letting people know that Jesus is coming again. That's the work that we are given to do. So looking at the screen, and your materials follow the screen, so you should be good that way. Evangelism is the life blood of the church. 
I'm deeply concerned today, and uh, those of us in the leadership positions in the conference, but especially in the ministerial department, we've been talking about this, and we're trying to find time to address a very serious problem. There are some of our churches in Michigan that are one step from death, okay? They're this far from the grave. And uh, your church may be one of them, I don't know. You may be part of Pioneer Memorial and it's not far from the grave. I mean, it's nowhere near the grave because there's a lot of life there and it centers around an institution and uh, there are a lot of young people coming and going and all of that doesn't mean that numbers indicate that it's not far from the grave. It just means that there's something going on there in that environment. But you move away from an institution like that and you begin to get out to churches and even in churches with numbers, they can be close to the grave. But the ones that are especially struggling are in our smaller communities where the church may have 20 people present on Sabbath. But some of our churches have five coming to church on Sabbath morning. And there are 40 or 50 people on the church books, but they haven't seen 45 of them in the last two or three or four or 10 years. All of that is part of that death cycle that a church can begin to go to get into. I know as a pastor, when I pastored a church that was fairly close to that, that uh, setting, the big challenge I had is we know that children are the source of growth, right? And uh, in terms of uh, internal growth and keeping life in the church. But trying to get parents to come to a church where there are no children is like, doesn't, just doesn't compute that way. And I understand that. I know why. I do think that we at times need to start thinking more and more missionary-minded than just thinking social uh, activity for my child at Sabbath school. There are ways of socializing our children and uh, at the same time still bringing, building up our churches. Uh, that's probably a discussion for another time. But my point is that when a church gets to that point and there are five people coming, and then you start doing a little bit of the math, and there, with all due respect, I'm in my 60s, okay? So I know what that is, but when, we're, when all of those five members are 60, 70, 80, and 90, where's that church headed if it doesn't find a way to grow? And, and that's, that's just thinking logically, but we need to be thinking spiritually. Spiritually says, hey, this is not just about keeping the church from dying. This is about advancing the gospel message in the community. The people in that community need to know that Jesus is coming again. It's not just that I need bodies in my church. I need to be working to build up the church of God, of Jesus Christ, the remnant church, with disciples so that the gospel message is being advanced. The lifeblood of the church is evangelism. If we're not doing that, we are dying. And most of our churches are stagnating. Most of our churches are stagnating. And if they are stagnating, they are just really dying. 
You're either growing or you're dying. That's really all that's happening. Now, your dying may take a little longer if you've got enough numbers in there for that to happen, but I've been in Michigan long enough to watch churches over the years, including churches that I've pastored, and I can tell you that I look back at some of those churches, uh, not only the ones I pastored, but others, and I look and I say, I know the people that are leading those churches, and they're the same people that were leading those churches 40 years ago or 35 years ago, or whatever, and the same number of people are attending church, and that church, as soon as those people die, that church is gone. It's gone. And you look around at some of those churches, and the numbers of the churches like that are, are alarming. And uh, that's why one of the reasons I wanted to take the time to talk about this class. So through evangelism, the world church grows and spreads its influence around the globe. Through evangelism, the local church calls men and women in its own community to join Christ's remnant people. And, and we need to, part of our, our work as leaders, you're all leaders in your churches, and most of you sit on the church board. One of the things I want to challenge you with today, and I'll say it today, and I hope I remember to say it two or three times, go to your church board meeting ask them, what are we doing to make sure that we are fulfilling the gospel commission in our church? And it should be the priority of every single board meeting. It should be at the top of your agenda, and it should be what you spend most of your time on. If you come together in all your board meetings, and you spend uh, an hour in your board meeting, and what 55 minutes of that is talking about um, how to take care of the Sabbath school papers and how to, you know, make sure that the plumbing is taken care of and yada, yada, yada. And that's all you do. And you never once talked about how are we reaching out to our community? How are we making a difference? Your church is dying and it's dying at your hand. You are the ones that are allowing that to happen when your board meeting accomplishes that every time because the board is the leadership body of your church and the place where the planning and the organization is done. And if you're not focusing on reaching out into your community with Christ's message to build up his remnant church, it's because you're not doing your job. Now, that I say kindly because we can all sit there and forget that that's really why we're here. And you know, we've got busy schedules, we want to get things done, but we need to, you know, in our life, not just for the church, you know, we've got Sabbath school to plan for, and, and we've got this to do and that to do, and we've taken care of all those tasks, but we must focus on the most per important reason for being there. World church growth, just a few, a uh, little bit of information here. The early church was dedicated to its mission of taking the gospel beyond its birthplace, the Christian church in Palestine. And the early Adventist church began as a small regionally based movement in North America. But in 1870, nine years after the organization of the church, the first foreign mission society was formed. So we're just kind of reviewing a little bit of the history of the growth process in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and in the Christian church in general, or putting it the other way around, the church in general at, in the beginning and the Seventh-day Adventist Church now. Today, Adventists have a presence in over 209 of the world's 231 countries. Now, before we get real excited about that, 209 church, uh, countries, we have a presence. But when in some places our presence is two or three or a hundred people, 
out of a million or 200, I mean, or, or many more people, that's, that, that presence is exciting, but doesn't mean that the work is really moving like it needs to in those places. But the church is growing. We do have 19 million members today. We had 18 million two years ago, and the church is growing rapidly, approaching 20 million. That's great, but you know what? In the North American division, it's stagnant or even flat and, and, and dropping because people are leaving the church and we're not bringing people into the church uh, and, and more importantly, even when we're bringing in people, we're not creating disciples. We may be bringing people in that are sitting in the pews and filling the numbers, but not doing the work. So the church that's growing also needs to be a church that has a structure and a plan. In North America, we're not doing a good job of doing this. So we need to insist that our Sabbath school continue to keep its mission emphasis. And by mission emphasis, we don't mean playing mission spotlight once a week or once a month. That does keep an emphasis on mission in terms of letting us know what's happening in other places in the world. But our Sabbath schools need to be concentrating on the mission of our local church. Our Sabbath school organization needs to be asking what are we doing in Sabbath school to advance the mission in this community. Our Sabbath school needs to be thinking that way and so does every single department of the local church and that includes the clerk and the treasurer. What are they doing to ensure that the church is growing? And uh, you may say, what does that have to do with the treasurer? I'll tell you. I know of some church treasurers that they guard that money. They need to. They need to protect the money. But they guard it so well that when the pastor or, or the personal ministries leader or whatever, you know, bring it up to the church board that we need an extra $1,000 to be able to, uh, uh, to send out uh, BibleStudyOffer.com cards to the community, but we can't afford to do that. Well, how much money do we have in savings? Well, we got $100,000. Well, can't we use $1,000 of that? Well, what happens if the roof starts to leak? You know, and treasurers sometimes do that, and I'm, I'm serious. I know of one church where the treasurer, until the church treasurer left and died, that church had such a, a rainy day fund that they, but they weren't growing, and they were dying. But they were ready to fix the roof if it ever leaked. Okay, and I'm being serious. That's exactly what was happening in, in that setting, and I know there are other churches that are just like that. So we need to promote strongly the world missions offering. The church, local church, does need to keep in mind the world church. When the local church only begins to focus on itself, it also is in trouble. And we have found that when local church thinks about um, mission uh, conference-wide, thinks about mission country worldwide, and, and, and also is thinking about mission locally, that the local mission tends to strengthen. So when we get selfish, we also begin to stagnate and, and uh, get into trouble. So that's talking about world church mission and focusing on that. But let's concentrate now on local church growth. Because all Christians are called to be God's ministers, they all became evangelists in one way or another. So let me take a pause for a moment and ask you a few questions that relate to this. 
because members must be involved in enlarging the congregation, not only for the sake of the lost, but also for their own sakes, and that has a lot of implications for it. So here's what, uh, what I want to ask you a few questions about, about what's been happening in your local church. Um, in your local church, have you ever heard about the Discipleship Handbook? How many of you have heard about the Discipleship Handbook? Okay, well, I'm encouraged. That's most of you, and that's really good. Um, the Discipleship Handbook is a book that was written here in the Michigan Conference, and I'm not going to go into all the history of how that developed, but developed out of a need to find a way to strengthen the process of discipleship in our local churches. Simply talking about it was not sufficient. Uh, we've been talking about it, I've been in the Michigan Conference office uh, for 20, almost 25 years, and we've been talking about it since I came into the office as the personal ministries leader, and the trouble is we've been talking about it and nothing was happening. Uh, you know how that happens, right? Because people need tools, because we, not only do you need to be intentional, but we need to be intentional. Uh, and on a leadership perspective, and we need to provide pastors tools, and sometimes all of us, local leaders and local pastors, say, hey, we don't need one more tool. Yeah, sometimes we do. We need one that's very focused, easy to use, and be able to work with that. We started with a kit. Any of you remember the kit? Ah, look at this. Some people remember the kit. And, and that wasn't that long ago. We were only talking about four or five years ago, and and uh, in terms of that. But we, as we started with that, we began to realize we needed to refine that. The Discipleship Handbook is a wonderful tool for two things. The first thing is for that to be able to be used in the local church for new members. As you baptize new members, you want to make sure that those individuals are being discipled. That was the reason that the Discipleship Handbook was originally written. But we have also discovered, and I discovered that in this classroom, uh, in teaching classes at camp meeting, probably about seven or eight years ago, whatever, I started teaching a class about discipleship. And I happened to have some materials in my office that had been sitting there for probably 30 years. And they had been used in the early 70s, in the late 70s, and really had no use after that. It was a... It was a, a a four-pamphlet, uh, what do I want to call it, lesson quarterly style series on discipleship. It was intended for new members, and it had just been sitting around, it had been used by the North American Division back in the 70s, and then it just kind of went its way. It was really clever because it was designed to be used in a new members class in the local uh, Adventist church, that uh, that uh, that class was running like a Sabbath at the Sabbath school time, running like a Sabbath school class, and so these little uh, Sabbath school quarterlies designed this way were used that way. And I didn't have any other materials to use, so I used them here at Sabbath school. I mean, at at camp meeting to teach a class on discipleship. And one of the immediate reactions I got from the people who sat in this room and who took that class was. I needed this when I was a new member. And you know what? The truth is, I think our members need this now. Okay? 
And so that was the, actually the beginning of the evolution of the current discipleship handbook. And the way the Lord brought it all together, it's an exciting story, but it's a, not, not time for that. I wanted you to understand that because the discipleship handbook can be used also for your members. And if your members are stagnating and they're not moving out, think about a prayer meeting that uses that for, for training. Think about it as a separate training course. If you can't get everybody to come out, which you won't, but you can get four or five people to come out, then start with four or five. As a matter of fact, you're better off. If you've got a church of 50, I'm talking about 50 coming to church and Sabbath school on Sabbath morning, you're better off starting with a class of four or five because you can manage that. And I mean you, your church, your leadership, your pastor, who, whatever. You can manage that smaller class. And as you get excited, then you'll tell your other people about it, and they'll, it'll spread. And pretty soon you go from 20% involved in the church work to 80% instead of the other way around like it's been for so long. All right, I saw a hand here. Please. It's available at the ABC, and in uh, some cases it can be used uh, or gotten in bulk through the personal ministries department. But yes, it's for sale at the ABC, and there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a, another mentor's book that comes with it as part of that. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to ask, um, when you have to start at this mentor, mm. and um, there are people who are excited about it, who want to mentor, for example, on my lonely house, the young lady Great. So I'm looking for someone to mentor her because I'm involved with somebody else. Right. Fabulous. Is there training that needs to happen with people who want to mentor? Oh, wow. I love that question. Kill you. Good. You ask those kinds of questions, you'll keep me going. It's like my, my wife says that once in a while I get to pre preach in an African American church. And she worries about me when I preach in those churches because those churches love to say amen and all that. And she said she can just tell when I start hearing that kind of thing that she's not going to get me to sit down for quite some time. You know, I'm just, it's, it, that's what pastors live for is the opportunity to really get excited about ministry. And, uh, and that excites me because I really am excited about what God has done in, in providing those tools. Um, yes. There are two ways to do that. There can be formal training that can be done, and Elder uh, Jim Howard has done that formal training. What church are you part of? Wow. <laughs> I was thinking, okay, maybe, you know, Manton Church or a small church or something like that. This has been on my heart for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to start it. Fabulous. You see... I need to turn this camera around and, 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 and like do an interview. That's one of the reasons I do this. What's your name? Sarah? Brenda. Oh, well, you're Brenda Keish. Hi, Brenda. I haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> I, I bumped into you once um, years and years ago. We were out west somewhere, and we bumped into some people out there, and it was you and I think your son and, and other family members or whatever. You remember that? I, you don't remember that? Yeah, anyway... I do because it was uh, an unusual thing. We saw somebody wearing an Andrews University church, I mean an Andrews University uh, sweatshirt or t-shirt, and we said, well, they got to be Adventists. <laughs> and so and it happened to be you, you and the family. So anyway, um, so the, yeah, the, you've got tremendous resources there in relationship to this. 
Um, if you if you want to do a, do a training there, people from the conference office will be more than happy to come and help with that training. Uh, there are two ways you can do it. You can do that training yourself. You can utilize your pastors to do that. They're well equipped to be able to do that. Uh, Joe Reeves has been part of the development process of this uh, discipleship handbook, and so he would be a great resource in being able to do that. Um, certainly, uh, Pastor Kelly is very supportive in that. Um, I don't know how much uh, connection uh, Dennis Page has had with that and exposure. I know he's aware of it. I know he knows about it. I, I hope that he's using it. But um, that is uh, a great way to do it. Another way to do it is for you to do it. Just take the people that you want to do, like the person you want to take over, uh, and that particular person's uh, experience that you know being baptized and you want to do that, and just simply take them aside and train them. Have them come. Uh, you say you're doing it, right? So have them come and sit in with you. Um, what I'm wondering from the training, should we be taking people through the book? Yes. Or should we be uh, just exposing them to it, making sure that these are people who are living that lifestyle themselves? Yeah. This, uh, and your question, I want to, I should be repeating this question to make sure it picks up on the recording. Should we be going through the whole book with the individuals? Yes. Um, that's ideal. Uh, or can we just uh, give them an overview? Yes. That might be more practical. It's like somebody I was talking to is helping to train uh, uh, individuals in relationship to Pathfinders and Master Guide. They said that they, the, the team that oversees that in Michigan, lay people and others, made a recent decision to say that everybody who is going to lead a Pathfinder Club has got to be a Master Guide. Well, we've had that conversation because I've been involved in Pathfinders for years, and we had that conversation before. And the problem is, what if you don't have any Master Guides in your church? You're not going to have a Pathfinder program? So you've got to start where you are, and then you work to a point of strength. So I would start where I am, and I would train people as best I could, and, uh, and then if it becomes a, uh, a, a solid, integrated process in the church, then I would begin to move to the point where I'm training them by the, going through the whole book. And uh, having somebody oversee those people at any point would be an important part of that process. So I would do both of those. I'd start where I am and try to involve them with you as much as they can, Try to screen those people if you can, if you've got any concern about, you want them to maintain the standard that's being shared there and not undermining that because that really undermines the discipleship process. And so you do want to help be involved in that screening process and your pastors can help you with that as well. Great questions. Let's keep going and see if we can fill in some of those gaps uh, along with the rest of the material. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a really good observation. I'll repeat it here, uh, talking about a church that um, had used the discipleship handbook in a permitting setting, but on the tail end of an evangelistic meeting, and for some people it was 
that hadn't made decisions yet, it was premature for them, and receiving it. Yes, I, I agree with that. It has to have the right setting to do that. Absolutely, and I think we need to work on that. It's one of the reasons why, one of the things I would really encourage is don't get the cart before the horse. Start doing the training ahead of time. Part of the problem is that people don't see the need when there's not people coming, and then all of a sudden everybody says, oh, I get it now, and it's like disaster response. You know, oh yeah, we need disaster training right now because we just had a tornado come through, and that's not the time to train people for disaster response. Okay. I just want to say that I, I feel like therapy needs to be very different. Yeah. I think a small group, but we also need to develop mm-hmm. And that could be a way of training people. And to handpick those who are going to be the first group, because you look at people and you say, I'm going to do it in my job. That's what you're going to be promoting. I, I agree, Brenda. I, I agree. If I were using this in a, in a prayer meeting setting, I would not dis- diminish prayer in there at all. As a matter of fact, the book helps to teach about prayer, and I would utilize it as an opportunity for that. I would also use it as a jumping off point, or I should say, no, that's not the right word, but for leading into praying for souls and praying for standards and praying for, uh, I think that it can be, both can be integrated in it. Don't leave out prayer by any means. If it dominates and becomes the, uh, the only thing you do, absolutely, that's the wrong thing to do. Okay, there are some ways of doing evangelism here. I want to talk about this. First, it publicly proclaims the gospel through evangelistic preaching, radio and television, and the distribution of letter, literature, etc. Second, and with greater impact, the gospel reach, uh, gospel reaches others through the personal relationships with members of the community. So let's talk about this for a moment because this is the foundation of what I want to share with you today. This is Grow Michigan. I haven't put that in here this way, but that's what this is. This is Grow Michigan. What's the first part of Grow Michigan? I'm sorry? Yeah, preparing the soil, exactly, okay? So the first thing you're doing is you're, you're getting out there and connecting with the community. That's the second part of this. You're building relationships with people in the community. And you might do that in a lot of different ways. I know a church that is down in Monroe, and I've told this story in a couple of my classes, but the uh, pastor down there in the church began to look at the community, what was going on in that community, and said, what's happening down here? Looking at the news, they discovered that they had a tremendous problem with heroin uh, addiction and, uh, and, and all that's going on in, related, in relationship to that. As a matter of fact, they discovered that that area of Michigan is where they have the greatest problem of the state of Michigan, the county that has the largest problem in Michigan with addiction to that particular neighborhood of drugs. And it comes because Ohio and Toledo seem to have that problem and it spilled over into that county, which is just south of Detroit. So the pastor started to ask questions about what they could do to deal with this. And he also connected with the people in the community. Praise the Lord. Talking to leaders in the community like perhaps the mayor. I don't know exactly how that community set up and, and what they have or village leader or whatever, but connected with the people in the community and even the non-Adventist uh, uh, denominational leaders there and started connect with them and saying, what can we do to participate with this? When the Adventist 
them to start leading the way, I get excited about that. We don't have to do everything, and we will get opportunity to share the message when we build relationships with people. But when we have no relationship and we try to share the message, we get nowhere. Uh, we get somewhere, but we don't get as far as where God wants us to be. We're not a social gospel organization. Ellen White makes that abundantly clear to us. But we do need to be addressing the problems of sin in our communities and caring for the needs of people and providing resources. So what the pastor did is connected with the people in that community. And then he got uh, Sherry Peters, who's on... Uh, I don't know if it's Cherie or Sherry Peters, but anyway, and she's on 3ABN, and she is doing things in relationship to uh, counseling, organizing uh, people in relationship to drug rehab, and well, I don't know exactly what she does, but she's there. He chose her as a resource, brought her into that community, uh, took her into the local high schools in that community, and today they are the recognized resource in that community to be addressing that issue. And other people are doing it as well. They're part of that, and there are people that are coming to the Adventist Church specifically for help, but some of them are going to the Lutheran Church or the other place as well. But the people in the Seventh-day Adventist Church are developing relationships in the community. And that's what's important here. Um, and that can come in many different forms. That may not be for you. You may not have that need in your community. But there are health outreaches that we can do and we should be doing. And of course, this is a health-related outreach in a, in a crisis situation. And there's so many other ways that we can do this work. We'll look a little bit more of that here in a moment. But then we must not forget that Grow Michigan does not just stop with preparing the soil. Grow Michigan includes, once you've plant, uh, prepared the soil, you've got to deal with the seed and plant the seed. That's where you begin to do the work of giving Bible studies and, and continuing that process and training people in your church and, and all the other types of things that are happening there. And eventually you're leading up to uh, a reaping series in the, in the, uh, in the community and bringing people to your, your church or, or local uh, hall that you feel is appropriate and, and preaching the message, the public proclamation of the, of the message of the gospel. And it can come in many different forms, but often in a reaping series. And then once that's done, you want to preserve the harvest, what you have reaped into the harvest. So, you know, uh, sometimes we default back to a prayer meeting type setting for, for following up after an evangelistic meeting because we really didn't think we were going to get anybody anyway. And uh, then we suddenly find that, you know, we had some churches during Unlock Revelation last year. They had a hundred people showing up at their opening nights. And one pastor had two churches like that. And, uh, you know, he's, he, he just, <laughs> he's suddenly waking up and saying, whoa, what happened here? And uh, maybe they hadn't done uh, outreach much in the, in the last few years. And at any rate, they had that tremendous response. And, and the trouble is when you get that tremendous response and you're not ready for it, you often will lose those people instead of being able to have a good plan to follow them up. And I'm afraid that's a little bit of what happened in that particular setting. So we've got to be planned and organized. I'd rather be prepared and have 10 people show up than not be prepared and have 100 people show up and because uh, it can be a real challenge. Anyway, leaders' participation in this. Relieve the pastors of some of their duties and free them to devote themselves exclusively to evangelism for a time. 
We're expecting the pastor to do everything. If you want your church to grow, then organize your church for growth. In my disciple, I mean, in my deacon and deaconess class, one of the things that I've been stressing with the, with that class is the fact that that their work is taking the pressure off of the pastor so the pastor can focus in on the work that the pastor should be doing in helping the church to grow. And the Bible teaches us that when the church began to divide, not divide, began to delegate these responsibilities, when in Acts chapter 6, the, the apostles appointed deacons to do this work. Ellen White tells us in the Bible, too, that the work exploded after that because now the pastors didn't have to focus in on taking care of the widows because there were people in the church that were appointed to do that. And as a result, the church could explode because the ministers were free to go out and take the work into new areas and new communities. That is God's plan. It's still God's plan. And it must still be God's plan to finish this work today. We need that to happen. If you want your church to grow, go to your church board and start asking the questions, what are we doing here with every one of our departments to support the work in this church so the pastor can help us focus on the major work that we have? Uh, I'll keep going with that because we'll, we'll make some sense out of this. Inactive, uh, activate inactive members. In many congregation uh, congregations, church attendance would double if inactive members would be reclaimed. Don't worry yet with the members that are not attending church. The Lord will give you time to do that. But start with the inactive members that are coming to church. You've got a lot of inactive members that are coming to church, right? So start with them. And again, start small. One to one, start inviting them. The worst way to inactivate inactive members is to stand up on Sabbath morning when you've got 50 people in the congregation and say, please come to a training opportunity this afternoon or please come because we're going to go knock on doors and pass out literature. Please come because we're going to, we're going to do this. Because usually what happens is you get the same two or three people that usually would come without the announcement. Okay. That's right. That's what a lot of people think it is. So you change that by personal invitation and by not worrying about starting big, but going to, you have a burden for it. The Lord has placed that burden on you. You are involved in it. The Lord has given you success in it. Now go and get one other person to join you in that process. Or if you've got two good friends that you've been having conversations with, don't worry about, I mean, don't hesitate to involve more than one person, but I'm saying don't try to get the whole church at once. The Lord will take care of that in good time. Start with activating those that are not currently active and be involved in the evangelism process from beginning to end, including follow-up, okay? Positively, yes. I um, It's taken me 40 years to get to that point, and I've still got a little of that melancholy in me. You take the melancholy and the choleric in me, and it's not a great combination. And, and I'm the kind of guy who likes to stand up in front and do exactly the thing I'm telling you about. And I'm telling you from experience, it doesn't work. So uh, don't do what I've done. Do what I'm trying to do differently. 
Thank you. That was very, very well put. <laughs> we need to do that. Don't forget the kids. We, you know, the, the church is today trying to tell us that we've got to have rock music and, and all kinds of things to attract our kids. No, we don't. What we need is to get them involved in real work for Christ. If they start seeing people's lives changed without rock music, they'll find out that rock music doesn't change lives. And it's not needed. It's not what we need. What we need is our kids to get out there and start making friends with people and being involved in, in caring about people in the community, maybe helping other kids, maybe helping adults. Some of the most successful soul winners are parents who go around with their kids uh, ministering to people. It might be knocking on doors. It might be finding some community uh, outreach project or a cleanup project or something that connects and the kids get excited about it. Anybody, anybody read the newsletter that came here at camp meeting, you know, the Michigan memo where they were talking about the teens that went out and worked on the trail out here and, and did painting and all that and the response of the community and the leaders say, you know, teens don't do this kind of thing anymore and how exciting to have them. Wow, that we need to do more of that, not just at camp meeting, all year long, winter, summer, whatever. Find projects that they can be involved with, that they can do, and the kids at their age level, get them involved in how they can not only be committed to Christ personally, but also how they can be involved in sharing Christ with other people. There should be maturity and preparation before baptism for these kids because if we get them involved in the process, these kids will want to make a commitment to baptism. They get it. Some kids get it a lot quicker than adults do. They understand what needs to happen. But let's not baptize them until they're ready. All right? Don't just baptize, baptize them because they want to be baptized. Help them to understand that they should be baptized when they understand. I don't mean... You know, they understand and can re recite how the 2300 days integrates into the sanctuary and, and all of that. I don't mean that. I mean, they, they need to be able to be mature at their level. But uh, prove the children and strengthen the children. Alan White says in Child Guidance, baptism does not make children Christians, neither does it convert them. And they need to be converted before that time and part of that. But then we need to get them connected and get them involved. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about church planting. I don't know what to say about Berrien Springs. They probably don't need to plant more churches because they probably have enough. Then again, maybe they do. Maybe there needs to be a church on every corner, an Adventist church where they are literally taking care of everybody in the community. Or maybe they need to be thinking about reaching out to other places. And Berrien Springs has done that. So I'm just talking, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, there are places in Michigan where we could stand to have a lot more churches than we do, okay? Detroit's one of them, Kalamazoo's another, Grand Rapids another, and obviously I'm talking bigger cities where we could stand to have more churches. But there are other places, and I know they've talked about it, like the Upper Peninsula. The churches there are scattered throughout the geography that's almost as extensive as the Lower Peninsula. And yet they only have, what, 15 churches or something like that over that whole area. Now, there are a lot of deer and antelope out there, and, and you know, it's just whatever. It might be elk, and it might be, it might be bear, and it, whatever. But they've got 
They've got people scattered around in those communities. And if the churches were not worried about their numeric size, but more about their mission, they would be able to be very effective. And that's part of what we need to be. We don't need bigger churches. We need healthier churches. You can have a healthy church of 50 people, a healthy church of 25 people very easily when that those churches are focused on their mission and they know what they're there for. So there may be times when there's value in starting a new church. That may not be for everybody uh, and every place. It may be that you need to just strengthen the church that you have. But the principle is still the same. One of the values in starting a new church is getting our mission focus um, yeah, where it needs to be. Somehow, when the same church and the same people over 40 or 50 years have been doing the same things, they can't start thinking differently. But when you plant a new church, all of a sudden people start thinking a uh, mission direction, and then you start bringing new people who have a new vision for what needs to happen, and that's when churches really begin to grow. I don't know if you, any of you have read Russell Burrell's material, but it's very valuable. And if you haven't, it's still, even though it's a few years old now, his books are still valuable and still helpful in helping us to understand where God wants us to be in relationship to this. Let, Russell Burrell, B-U-R-R-I-L-L. B-U-R-R-I-L-L. He has several books on them. I'm trying to remember the titles of them. Brenda, you remember any of the titles there? Yeah, that's that's it. And and there's there's a lot there. There's also one by Joe Kidder that's very good on this. Uh, there was Joe Kidder wrote a book that accompanied the Sabbath School lesson a few years ago that was talking about uh, this kind of a, a concept, the four, the big four, I think was the title of that book Joe Kidder did. Um, also very good uh, resources that are there, but it's, it's talking about the whole idea of the activating the church is really what it matters. It uh, refers to. All right, let me keep going here because I want to bring some of these pieces together. Do not be afraid, number one, to start a new church. More members by doing this will be involved in the work. So whether you're planting a church or kind of reactivating your church, because some of your churches, it'll take that, that whole new reactivation process. Uh, in essence, that's, that's what you'll be doing. The advantage you have with an establishing church is you have a building, and you have some people. And if you can activate those people, those are hurdles you won't have to overcome. When you plant a church, you've got to find the people and you've got to find a building and all of those can sometimes sidetrack the mission. So you have an advantage with an existing church that if you can get more members involved without having to plant a church, and, and you, of course in small communities you couldn't do that anyway. A new con congregation will be established in a new area. The best way to produce more fruit is to plant more trees. New churches revive inactive members more easily than do old churches. That's true. It's harder to activate members who've been sitting around doing nothing for a long time. But if you will pray that the Spirit of God will be poured and out, and I mean pray actively and seriously, God will respond. Many of the historically amazing 
revivals that have happened in the Christian world over the centuries have happened because people like you and like me take prayer seriously. When individuals have gone back to try to say what made the difference in that revival in that community at that time, like some of the Scottish revivals or, or some of the other revivals that are taking place over time, somebody goes back in and they look and they track it back to a little old lady praying at home and she's saying, I want, I'm asking God to change and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. And, and, and I mean, I'm talking about praying. I don't mean, you know, five minutes of breakfast. I mean, she's praying and she's praying and she's praying. And the preachers begin to wonder, I mean, they're praying too, but they're, they're, they're starting to see revival take place and they start to dig into it and they find out that there's people praying. Okay, and that's what needs to happen today. If you will go back to your church and you will pray, you'll find that God will reactivate your church. I don't want you to forget in terms of growing your church and reactivating your church is that there are some people that would be involved, but you might have to go find them. Now, those are your missing members. They are the lost sheep that Jesus was talking about that you need to go out and reach out to. The shepherd that left the 99 sheep went out and searching for that one that is lost. There are those in your church. There are some people on your church books that are dead, and I mean literally. You haven't looked at your church books in I don't know how long. I came into one, my last church I pastored and I started looking at the names on the church books and as I started doing a little bit of digging, so to speak, I found out that they were in the grave already and that the church had not been keeping track of their records. And, and you know what? That to me is tragic. You know, if the church doesn't care enough about people to even know whether they're alive or dead physically, they certainly aren't keeping track of the ones that are spiritually dead and helping to reactivate that. So within your church, you have these individuals, and if you will patiently go out and visit those people and start working with them, you can reactivate them when they begin to find out there's somebody in the church that cares. You know, they left the church 20 years ago, and not since that has anybody ever darkened their door, said anything to them, written to them, called them, visited them, anything. Nothing like that has ever happened, and they don't think anybody cares. Why? Because for 20 years, nobody did. And when somebody suddenly does, and you're praying for those people also, the Spirit of God starts to reactivate those people, and they can become some of your best workers. Please. You know, I did a little experiment. I decided that I was going to be the director of the new area, mm -hmm. and I did that for six months, and not one person called me to see why I wasn't the and I'm a big church, yes, but I'm, you know, I'm not one of the wallflowers in the mm -hmm, church. Mm -hmm. And boy, that really told me something. That we don't know how to keep track of each other. And we try to keep small groups are so important. Where we have, where we have accountability, we know who's there or who should be there. Absolutely. Sabbath school is already a small group, and it should be happening in a small group environment because that's there. I remember uh, uh, Calvin Smith was a uh, Sabbath school director for the Michigan Conference many years ago, and he took Sabbath school action units all over the world. Couldn't get them started here in Michigan to any strength. It's just the way it is. Uh, America has a harder time doing that. 
But those, the Sabbath school class is a place where that should be taking place and can take place. It's an easy thing, easy place to start. And then small groups in the local church are a great way. So put that on your list. You know, even though I don't think I'm going to be getting into that here, but it is, it is one of the things that I talked about earlier in some of the training that we were doing. Small groups is a great way to activate people and to keep focus on people so they don't get lost. Larger churches have a greater problem with this, but don't think small churches don't. Because even though the small churches may know the person's not there, they're not doing anything about it. And that's the tragic part of that, is that if you don't have a plan, you're not following it. Does that make sense? So if you have a plan, you can at least know whether you're following it or not. Members that have dropped out, why do they do it? They're not being challenged with their, with their, uh, with their ministry. I, you know, I, there's nothing going on here. There's no read. Nobody needs me. I've never been asked to do anything in the church because, you know, the, the patriarch in the church has been the head elder for 45 years and, and nobody else is good enough to do anything in the church and their church is like that. Am I right? And so people are not being utilized. They do not develop meaningful devotional life. Uh, that means that people are not growing in their relationship with Jesus. So they easily drift away from Jesus and from the church. They just stop going to church uh, and nobody notices. Nobody comes to find out why they're not. And they just assume that they're on vacation or whatever. And 10 years later, they say, wait a minute, could they still be on vacation? Okay, I exaggerated that. But after three or four weeks, somebody should be saying, where are they? What happened to them? And then somebody needs to go and find out. Uh, better yet, after one or two weeks, you know, make sure that something's going on. And then if there is an issue, go and find out whether it's a spiritual discouragement issue or what it might be. In some cases, it's quarrel with the church members or moral problems that have developed, which is why I've been teaching a class on uh, redemptive discipline and working through the problems that develop there. And my class today, I'm going to be focusing in on, on dealing with conflict in the church because problems arise, quarrels arise, and we as leaders need to have a plan to deal with those, those issues. Now, that's not quite in my area of of growing, growing the church and developing the church, but you also want to maintain the church so you don't lose the ones you have. Okay? I'm, I'm thinking of also on the previous topic of missing members. Sometimes we'll choose someone to be a follow up with us and make sure they're contacted, but that's not enough. Mm -hmm. Because people don't feel welcome just the same person calls them every right. week. And that's right. Many people say, I miss you too, I love you, and I'd like you to come back. You know, I visited a church. I visited a church recently, really terrific. A lady came up to me and uh, said, "You know, my ministry in the church is I send out birthday cards to all the church members." And she said, "I, you know, tell me when your birthday is, and I'll send a birthday card out to you." Now the irony is, my birthday was like two or three days away. <laughs> she didn't know that, and uh, and I said, "Well, you're right on time. My birthday is just coming up." But when you stop and think about it, that's really great that she has that ministry and somebody's doing it, that's good. But after 10 years of the same person sending it out, people say, oh, it's just so-and-so sending out a birthday card. And, and they don't really think about it. But when the church members as a whole participate in that, it's a really good point. I really appreciate it. Did I hear another comment over here? 
All right, I'm going to keep going. I just noticed that my clock is doing it to me again and it's going on and I want to be able to pull this all together here in a moment. Um, the church is cold, boring, and unaccepting. Some people will drop out for that reason. Occasionally, people will drop out for theological reasons. And that is seldom, but I'm afraid it's growing. And the reason is because we're not discipling those members. We're not teaching them how to get involved as, as, uh, as church members and also how to develop their relationship with Jesus. That discipleship handbook has a devotional plan in the back of that book, and everybody can be doing that. I use that in my personal devotions. That's what I use. I, I had the privilege of uh, baptizing an individual um, several months ago, and I've been going through the discipleship manual with him as well. I, I wanted, because I was the one working with him, I was the logical person to do that, and I said, you know, I've not used this manual. I want to know how it works, and I'll tell you what, I'm thrilled. This, this individual is an individual coming back to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, having grown up as an Adventist, but left the church many years ago. And as he has gone through this, we've been applying the various things, and one of the things that I challenged him to do was get into do devotional life and to experience that. And he said, man, I, no, I get up, and I'm just too busy, and, and, and you know, I don't have enough time. And, and I challenged him. I said, take just five minutes, and, and then advance that to ten minutes, and so on and so forth. And so... As the mentor's guide says, keep asking them how it's going. So I keep asking him how it's going. And he keeps saying, man, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm still, you know, I'm sitting, hey, this works, you know. And, and uh, so these tools, take a look at them, use them in your own life, reach out to people with them and share them as well. Reclaiming missing members, laying plans to reclaim missing members. There are some steps here. Uh, visiting them is an important part of it, not being condemning uh, and reaching out to them and all. I'm not going to spend any more time on that particular area. Um, here are some questions that you can ask when you go and visit. Um, some tools there. Again, I'm going to move on because I want to get to this other area of holding new members as well. Adventist churches or a fishing boat is the question that's asked here. A church that does not evangelize will fossilize. So the, I've already said that from the beginning. I'll come back and say it. If your church is not growing, it's dying. If it's stagnating, it's dying. If it's dying, it's dying. <laughs> okay? So you've got three choices of what's going on in your church. It's dying, it's stagnating, which is dying, or it's growing. Those are your three options that you have. And the Laodicean model is a dying church. It's steadily dying. It won't be ready when Jesus comes. It won't be ready to see Jesus. The members won't be ready to see Jesus. And the community won't know that Jesus is coming. And they will be the people that would say, why didn't you tell us about this? But the church that is active and is involved in reaching out is not the church that's dying and fossilizing. I guess my question is, I hear a lot about in the Laodicean church. But what I fail to hear about, or I feel like I fail to hear about, is how do we get out of that? Okay. Can you address that? Yeah, absolutely. I've got all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said at the beginning of this class, I am not going to share anything with you that's dramatic. Um, 
the pastor, <laughs> this happened to me almost every day this week. We have a devotional time, staff meeting time, uh, for about uh, 40 minutes each morning. And one of our pastors every morning is doing a short 10-minute devotional. And it seems like every one of those devotionals has addressed an issue that I face in my class right afterwards. I just, okay, so the Lord's doing that. Today the devotional was about Ephesians chapter 6. And Ephesians chapter 6, you know, is where Paul talks about uh, the, the, army of, uh, the armor that God wants us to put on. And you go back to that, it's basic, isn't it? Study the Bible, it's uh, um, pray, it's share the gospel, share the message, and that's the armor of God in a, in a, in a summary. We need to get back to the basics, that we don't need anything dramatic. That's why we need to start with prayer, and then we start talking about the various things that we can do in our church systematically. The pieces that I'm talking about here are the very pieces that you need to integrate into your church. But you can't go back and do them all at once. You're going to have to start one piece at a time. Um, a question, what, what church are you with? You're in a Hastings church, okay? I, I know a little bit about the Hastings church. I know where it is. I know it's building. And I know some of your members in your church, okay? Um, I also know it's not a large church, but it's not the smallest church in, in Michigan. I know you have an evangelistic pastor who loves to reach out and do public evangelism. Um, and your church needs to undergird that by doing the kinds of things that we've talked about, by getting active in the kinds of things that reach out to the community and begin to do that. Because if you will do that, then the Lord will start bringing people to you. The reason our churches are not growing is because we're not doing anything. Jesus cannot bless us. He doesn't bring people to us because we don't know what to do with them when they come. But we need to begin to set up a very simple basic structure in our church. And, I, and it, sounds, it sounds like a platitude, but I mean that, where you start simple and you put those pieces into place. For example, um, well, let, let me keep going. Let me finish this out, and then I'll pull that all together, and I think that will help to answer that question. If you don't feel I have, even at the last couple of minutes, say, you still haven't answered my question, all right? Um, so on holding those new members is a very critical part of this. Uh, I think we've emphasized that a lot in Michigan. I've already talked about the Discipleship Handbook. It's critical to understand that these first few months are the time when the church members, new church members, are likely to fall away. It says 18 to 24 months can be a real danger time. Yes, it can. So don't even let that happen. Start with a discipleship process immediately after they are baptized. Take the, 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 the book is designed for six months. We know that it needs to be for a couple of years. We know that. But start with the six months, because in that six months, you can begin to activate them into their role. That's what that discipleship handbook uh, is partially designed to do, is the mentor should be finding our niche for that person in the church in terms of soul winning and outreach, whether it's giving Bible studies or helping in some community projects or whatever the case may be. And, and something that connects them and gives them an outlet for sharing their faith. 
with this fellow that I've been studying with, two things that we've done. First of all, uh, one of the things that helped to really connect him with the church is he joined the chorale in the church. The Lansing chorale that sang here on Sabbath, if you happen to hear them, he's part of that chorale. Before he became a member, he joined that. And that helped to integrate him. Today, they go out and they go to non-Adventist sources as well, so he's gotten integrated that way. Second of all, he has a business that he runs, and in that business, I said, put glow tracks out in your in your uh, in your business. And we provided him with a, a display and and glow tracks for it, and he uses that as an outlet to be able to reach out. He's getting into that. This is all part of that whole experience. So get them involved that way. Befriend them. Teach them the five basics here. Visit them. Involve them. Use the Michigan Conference Discipleship Plan. There it is, folks. <laughs> See, I've been talking about it, and here it is right already in here. I, I knew it was somewhere. I knew I'd put it somewhere. I couldn't remember where it was. I should have reviewed this this morning. But anyway, the Discipleship Handbook looks like this. They're available there. This is actually a picture of a flyer that I inserted in here and includes that, and it's the way of closing the back door. This is what God wants us to do. Now, let me summarize this, and then I'm going to uh, uh, seek to answer that question that was asked. A combined effect of the new member's influence on old friends and the attractive example of a changed life make powerful soul-winning tools. Personal ministries used to be something that was accentuated at every church in Michigan and the North American Division every Sabbath in between Sabbath school and church. That was many years ago. It started to drop away, and the reason it did is personal ministries leaders would stand up and they would read something out of Christian service or whatever and sit back down. You know, the church could stand that only for so long before church members didn't want to hear it and even stopped coming to church because they didn't want to hear it. It was boring. It wasn't exciting. When churches then turn around and they start, you know, like BibleStudyOffer.com and somebody starts coming to church and, and uh, that person gets excited about the church and then they bring them up in front of the church and the person says, it was listening to Strong Tower Radio that brought me to the church or, and then I got this, I mean, I was listening to the message, then I got BibleStudyOffer.com in the mail and, and, uh, and I started taking Bible studies and that's why I'm here today and I'm excited about this. The church members say, whoa, 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 whoa what was that? See, that's the basics that we need to have in our local church. What is your role in the church? You're the head. Oh, wow. Fantastic. That's a great opportunity. You might want to think about training your elders and your deacons and your deaconesses and what the role, their role actually is. As a matter of fact, if you will see me after this class, I'm going to give you some materials that I'd like you to look at and then go in there and look there and find out that part of the soul, the part of the role of the deacon and the deaconess is soul winning and organizing your church for that purpose. And we are willing to come and do some training in your church in that regard. If you will activate the deacons and deaconesses in your church with your role specifically, you'll begin to find that the rest of the departments in the church will begin to want to organize as well because they see what's happening there. So take advantage of that. Brent, I'm going to keep going for just a moment. I want to bring these pieces together. The basics. Grow Michigan. Integrate this into your church. Go to your church board and ask yourself, are we doing the 
preparation of the soil activities. If you're not, that's the place to start. You, you may not be able to do 20 of them in a year. Do one or two and do it well. Do it to the best of your ability. If it doesn't go well, evaluate why it didn't. Don't dispense with it. Now, for example, one church in Michigan had a cooking school, I mean, a, a vegetarian uh, uh, cooking demonstration uh, event once a year. I think the first time they did it, they had a handful of people come. But they decided to keep doing it, and they did it every year for years. When they finally stopped doing it, which is an interesting part of the story, when they stopped doing it, they had hundreds coming out every year to that. The problem was they became, it became an event in itself instead of becoming an outreach and soul winning event. All I'm saying by that is if you will continue to do things that are the right thing to do, even with the first time it doesn't seem to work well, you might get a few, get a few more. All right, number one, prepare, prepare the soil. Number two, get there and start doing the seed planting that needs to be done. And then also the cultivating process. If you can't get everybody involved, get one or two involved in that process. But use Grow Michigan as the initiative. Realize that the things that we've talked about here of missing members and uh, all those others are all things that can be part of this. Part of this. Right now, the sky is the limit on what you might be able to do. Take advantage of each little piece that you possibly can. Then plan for public evangelism. Nothing worries me more than a church that says, we have about 100 churches, maybe 120 churches, something like that, doing Unlock Revelation this year. What? Every single church should be doing it. Every single church should be doing it. We're tired. So what? Jesus is coming again. Get, active, get excited. Maybe you are tired. But do it because Jesus will bring people to you when you're doing something. It didn't work so well last time. Maybe you didn't do enough of the initial events that will help to do that. Maybe you have whatever. But do it and then have a plan for following it up. Use Grow Michigan as your basis. Start with that. Make sure that as you as a board member, as a leader in your church, that your church is doing it. If it's not doing it, ask why not and also help to develop that plan. Go to the pastor, work with them. Don't just do it yourself. Go to the pastor, integrate with that. Your pastor, first of all, you're gonna to have to pick your pastor up off the floor. And, and then when you, he re-revives, then say, I wanna to help to, to get our church going in the Grow Michigan process. And then your churches will grow. You'll get going in the right direction. And you'll have that. You've got the tools and the resources. Just begin pulling those pieces together. Now. My goal today was not to solve all your problems. It was to start to open the door. The Michigan Conference team is here to help you beyond that. If you feel that you got enough resources and ideas today to begin to integrate that in your church, praise the Lord, go back. If you feel that you still need more, then call us. And we'll be happy to work with you on an individual basis. Um, I'm willing to do that. I know Elder Howard is willing to do that. Uh, we're all willing to do that to, to some extent. The ones of us that do that the most are Elder Howard, myself, and Elder Ringstaff. And we're happy to help you in that local church pull these pieces all together. I'm out of time. I've got to stop. Brenda, you were going to say something, so I want to come back to that. Yeah, all I wanted to say is that we can have a lot of great plans. Mm -hmm. We do not have to be Absolutely. And this is what concerns me is 
That's right. That's right. Because then you're just doing Exactly. So if your church doesn't have prayer meeting, start one in your home. Okay? Have two or three people coming together and studying the Bible together and praying together. Praying together. And I already said earlier, be sure that you, that you spend time praying. That's where revival comes. That's what your churches want and what your churches need is that revival experience. And God will bring it in answer to prayer. He's not doing it because we're not praying. We just try to do our works and not allow the Spirit of God to be in control. Well, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you've gotten some ideas. And again, call us if you don't have what you need. We want to activate your church. I, I'm going to quickly ask before we leave here, just tell me what church you're from. What church are you from? Hillsdale. Oh, Hillsdale. Okay, that wasn't Hastings. There's a difference. South Haven. South Haven, Hastings. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah. Okay, great. Excellent. Wonderful. We know you're from Village. Where are you from, brother? Uh, what? Onaway. Oh, great. Terrific. Yeah, the two from Onaway. You're from uh, Reed City. Grand Hill. I love that. It's great spread. So talk to your pastors. Talk to your districts. Get training together and uh, support each other. Let's have a prayer together. Father in heaven, thank you for being with us today. I pray that you will be with us as we go our ways today. We've scratched the surface in relationship to what it takes to grow a church. But there are some basic ingredients that you've given to us, and the first one is prayer. But once we have prayed and surrendered this to you, you've also taught us to be active. And we know that you have a plan to grow churches here in Michigan. We pray that you will help us to integrate each one of those pieces into what we do. May it be the focus, the soul winning focus of our church to reach out to the communities and make a difference there. I pray this and thank you in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.